You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Can you smell it? Can you taste it? Can you hear it? Can you feel it? Maybe it is... November. It's that time of year that we have been waiting for. It's that time of year that we think about all year round. It's that time of year that makes our wives want to leave us or girlfriends want to leave us. Uh, But it's that time of year. We can't help it, right? It's the rut, baby. And I am pumped to the max on this uh on this one i don't even know what what to talk about or what to say but it is november 1st and that rut train is coming and uh hold on tight because it's about to get nasty up in here (laughs) but but anyway um just a really quick recap on the past week as far as hunting is concerned. Uh, I'm not going to get into too much detail. Uh, I'm going to give you the abbreviated version of um, the last couple re- weeks real quick for the intro in this podcast. All right. So I finally start hunting my buddy's property where I missed the Boone and Crockett uh, buck last year. I finally uh, hunted over the food plot that I, I made in the, in the scrape tree that I made. They're not using the scrape tree. Um, I, I didn't put any scent down or anything like that. However, uh, this property holds decent deer. Um, I have two separate trail cameras and they're really honestly only 15, 20 yards apart. One is focused on a trail. The other is focused on the food plot. And, um, there are, three deer on the property that I'm kind of interested in, but after further investigation on those trail camera pictures, there's really only one shooter and, uh, it's a big 300 pound. I mean, just a massive bodied buck, his rack, maybe in the 130, 135, nothing big, but, um, he's an old warrior. He's blind in one eye, but, uh, he's that kind of buck that he walks into, your line of sight and you get excited because he's that big Brahma bull looking SOB who comes to, uh, you know, he comes to the party to mess, you know, F F stuff up. And, uh, 
I, I, I want this deer. However, um, the very first uh, morning I hunt on my buddy's property, I have, I start hearing some grunting behind me and I have this local uh, buck. He's a three-year-old. He's just like a 120 inch eight pointer. Um, not maybe a nine pointer, but he looks like he's that kind of deer that in a year or two, if he makes it, uh, will be a pretty good buck. Now, up, following up behind this, I see this really dark, bigger bodied buck and he's kind of in the thicket the entire time. And finally he steps out and right as he steps out, a doe starts blowing. So it's one of those things where I had to make a decision. I had to make a decision fast. So I drew back and I let the arrow go and I completely missed him. Now, I don't know what exactly happened. Like I said, I, th I think it was a combination of buck fever, but when I went up to my arrow, there was no broadhead on it and there was no knock on it. Um, I'm not sure if I hit a branch or if that was caused after the fact that I hit him, but uh, I saw that buck. Let's see. Today's November first, so I saw him on the evening of the twenty of the October thirtieth. He was healthy. He was um, bedded actually within a hundred yards of me, uh, and I ended up passing the evening of the thirty first. I ended up passing two more. Uh, three more deer actually one one larry one three-year-old and one two-year-old uh, from the looks of it and uh i'm gonna head up there see this is this is being recorded on halloween night um i can't hunt on halloween night because i have you know the kids we have a little family tradition uh, where i bring a couple other buddies in and their kids and uh we do the whole trick-or-treat thing uh, I know a lot of the guys out there say, Hey man, you got to be in the timber, uh, for Halloween. Well, no, I don't because I gotta, I gotta make the wife happy. And what that means is going trick or treating. Now it's November 1st and now I don't have to go back to work until November 17th. I'm very lucky. I get a, a large chunk of time to go out there, grind it really, really hard and hopefully, uh, you know, put something, get, get on, start to pattern, uh, some of these mature deer that are uh, on the property. And hopefully, uh, this year pans out, um, just like a majority of you, I have to share property with other hunters. You know, some of you guys are public land hunters. Some of you guys are private land with, uh, you know, sharing, you know, sharing property with others. And I have to do that. I have to share property with, uh, two other hunters. I know when they're going to be on that property. And, uh, my goal is to get in there to some of my good spots before they come in on their four wheelers. Um, and, and not as good access routes as I would have, I would take, you know, they're ladder stand hunters, nothing against that, but, uh, they kind of take the path of least resistance. And sometimes that's over, uh, heavily traveled deer routes and uh i'm not i'm not going to sit here and tell you that the way they hunt's wrong because quite frankly they they kill more deer than i do off that farm they just kill a little bit of different deer as as far as what i'm kind of after like i said earlier man i'm up i'm up for that first four-year-old that uh 
that walks by and uh, I'm looking forward to spending a lot of time in the tree this uh, next couple weeks but man it I'm jacked I'm excited I'm, I'm I'm dedicating this rut to my family. Uh, as I've mentioned in a couple posts on Facebook, uh, bow hunting is a very selfish sport. You, for me, I'm going to hunt and I'm going to hunt hard up, up to basically 16 days in a row. That means my wife is a stay at home mom or, a, is a, a single parent to two kids that at time can be real assholes. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. And she sits here and she takes care of them. Um, and I, God bless her heart. She she not only supports my passion, but she encourages me to go out this year and you know, and and, and hunt hard, follow my dream, and without her, you know, none of this would be possible. But so I love my wife. I love my kids. They're the most important thing in my life. So I want to make sure that they get the the you know the uh, respect that they deserve and. Uh, I'm going to hunt my hardest, no shortcuts, no days off, because if I sleep in a day, that means that's, I'm, that's a day that could be spent with my kids. So it's time to grind. Okay, so I've talked too much already. Um, I'm going to be straightforward with you. I am a hunter, and this podcast will, the next couple weeks, will maybe only get one or two podcasts for those weeks. I already have them pre-recorded, but that's the goal. Um, I'm going to be out hunting. I'm going to be gathering some stories. But when I get done with this rut hunt, it's time to get back to business. And I'll be uh, definitely, uh, I'll definitely be putting in the, uh, you know, trying to get as much information back to you guys as possible. uh, As far as these hunter profiles, as far as these BS sessions and uh, the companies as well. Good luck to everybody. First and foremost, man, I, I, I want everybody to be successful. But uh, you got to be safe, you know. Sometimes when we get excited, logic and reason go out the window, and uh, and we forget the simple things like our safety harness. And I usually say that at the end, but man, you got to wear it. Don't be a dumb shit. Um, but we do have a really cool podcast today. We're going to be talking with a fellow Iowan. His name is Adam Jones. And uh, he's going to share a story about a buck that he chased for two years um, in southern Iowa and uh, finally got an opportunity to connect with him despite of having some construction work going on uh, on the same property. So uh, it's a pretty cool story. Make sure you uh, stay tuned for the entire podcast. And uh, guys, before we get into uh, in the podcast, we're going to hear from John Livingston from Deer Lab about what makes Deer Lab so easy to use. Deer Lab is super simple. We basically give you tools to drag and drop your photos from an SD card or from your computer directly into Deer Lab, and we automate a majority of the process. We automatically sync with your w- local weather station and bring in weather data that trail cameras can't capture. We also uh, bring in, um, automatically organize all of your photos by date. We give you tools as far as filtering and all that, but it's really super simple. Um, as, as long as you can drag and drop or select photos from your computer, you pretty much know how to use Deer Lab. If you guys want to find out more information about Deer Lab, visit 
the special URL that they have for Nine Finger Chronicles listeners, and that is www.deerlab.com slash nine fingers, the number nine, followed by the word fingers, no spaces, and you will receive a free 30-day trial period. I'm telling you guys, enter your trail camera photos into this system, and it will allow you to gather historical data on the deer on your property and you will be able to potentially forecast where these deer are moving based off wind direction and weather patterns and time of year and uh, check it out that's all I can say I'll leave it up to you to do the rest anyway let's get into today's podcast with Adam Jones all right, on the phone with me now is Adam Jones, and that's a name that I can easily pronounce. Adam Jones. How you doing today, Adam? Pretty good. How about you? I'm doing great, man. And uh, I, by the picture I'm looking at right now, I don't think that smile on your face should go away for a whole year. <laughs> no, probably not. Probably not. All right. Well, um, we're going to do a hunter profile uh, on you today, and we're going to talk about this buck that you shot earlier uh, in October. And uh, before we get into that, I'm going to ask you a couple questions about yourself, um, and we'll start with, you know, how old are you? What do you do for a living? Where are you from? Yeah, well, I'll be 23 uh, next month, so uh, pretty young, I guess you could say, uh, as far as hunting goes. But I started. Uh, just deer hunting in general. When I was about 13, I think I shot my first deer uh, just with a shotgun. And then uh, when I got to be about 15, um, I wanted to get into bow hunting. So I tried that and obviously fell in love with it like many people do. And then, yeah, so I've been bow hunting ever since then. So I've been bow hunting for about seven years or so. Okay. Who got you into bow hunting? Uh. I would say my uncle did. Um, originally, um, my grandpa and my uncle have always hunted, and I've always kind of been around that whenever they'd bring a deer back or whatever, and uh, that's what piqued my interest at first. And then um, I just knew that they bow hunted and uh, saw them do it a lot, so that uh, that's kind of what got me into it. Okay. So yeah. you've been bow hunting since you've been 14 or 15 years old. Um, we're, you know bow hunting right now falls in the time where there's a lot of sports and you know there's football on the weekends there's um wrestling in in iowa that's a big thing uh so uh there's a lot of act you know school activities as far as sports are concerned did you do any type of uh athletics in high school yeah well um funny that you ask because i uh i i've always played bunch of sports growing up my main sport was soccer which lucky enough in iowa that's in the spring right um so i didn't have to run into deals with that but um i played football my freshman year of high school and then um that's my freshman year is when i got into bow hunting so about 15 and uh once i did i i quickly got over football as much as i loved playing it because (laughs) i didn't want it to clash with hunting so and i i love i love playing basketball too um, but that started in our, our basketball season at, in high school would start about midway through November too. So, um, I didn't, I strictly, I wouldn't say that that's the only reason I didn't play football and basketball, but, uh, 
getting into bow hunting definitely played a big role in not playing that stuff. Right. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I tell you yeah. what, my knees, if you asked my knees, they would say, I wish they, that I should have been, a, uh, more into bow hunting than into, yeah. <laughs> than into, uh, to sports. But all right. So when, you know, you started when you were 15 years old, but when did you like start getting really serious? I mean, you're only 22 years old right now. Um, when I was 22 years old, I think all I was doing is, uh, trying to get as drunk as humanly possible. Uh, so, and, and I really even wasn't into hunting that much. I mean, I did some pheasant hunting, some turkey hunting. I did some bow hunting, but not too much, uh, until about 2006. When did you start getting serious about it? Well, um, I didn't really have access to a whole lot of land until um, I was a few years into it. So um, the first couple of years, I just basically went when I could go with my uncle and my grandpa. So um, that usually wasn't until later October or so, because that's when they really wanted to go out. Um, so that's I, that I would go with them, um, especially right before I had my license and I couldn't drive anywhere uh, by myself anyway. So uh, that's, I was into it then, but then when I got my license and then I finally got permission on um, a place that I still have permission on, that's when I really got into it and then started going, uh, going okay. out alive. I gotcha. Hey, yeah. really, really quick. Uh, are you on speakerphone by any chance? I, I was, I just took it off. Sorry about that. Okay. Hey, no worries. No worries. All right. So now, you know, you, you got your license, you're able to, uh, you know, travel a little bit more and go out hunting a little bit more. Talk to me about the, um, some of the properties that you hunt. Is it public? Is it private? Uh, is it ag? Is it timber? Describe in, you know, in detail about some of the terrain features and some of the properties that you hunt. Yeah. Um, well, the, first place I ever got permission on, um, I basically just asked the neighbor just down the road for me. He was an older guy that had a lot of connections in my town because he'd been there most of his life and he knew a lot of farmers. So I figured I'd start with him. So I asked him, uh, just if he knew anybody in town that had land that they maybe didn't have hunters on or they already did and they wouldn't mind one more guy or whatever. Um, so he, um, referred me to a, uh, an older guy that had, I think he's got about, I wouldn't say he's got more than much more than 40 acres that, uh, I still can hunt on, but, um, just a farming, uh, old farmer guy. He's got two little fields that he farms. And then the rest of it is just kind of natural, um, grass that he would mow and a big Creek running through it. And, and it just butted up to a huge, um, patch of timber that, um, basically all the deer would come out of that across his property and then they'd either come into his field or they'd go across the road, uh, to the neighbor's field. Um, uh, so that, that place has been a really good spot for me. Um, another spot that I have fortunately is like literally two minutes North of that spot that I got permission on from family, uh, in our church. Uh, I knew that they owned a bunch of land. I didn't know how much or, uh, you know, if it was even really worth hunting. So I just thought I'd ask them. And, uh, so I asked them and they, uh, they let me hunt there as well. And it was just slightly bigger, but just different type of land. Um, it was more fields 
and smaller kind of just brush and like tree lines. And then they had a creek on the very north side of their property. Um, and that's the property that I shot this buck on uh, a week ago. Um, and then just recently got permission um, with my brother uh, on a property that's like 30 seconds north of our house. So we can literally just drive up the road. We could walk up to this spot if we wanted to. Um, and that and that's a smaller parcel of land, too. It's not much more than 40 acres either. Couple couple little ag fields and um, some big tree lines. And it butts up to a little patch of timber, but it's not too big. So mainly, a lot of the three spots that I can hunt have always been, um, they have some agricultural fields. They have some natural fields that get mowed every once in a while some big tree lines, maybe a creek here or there. And, um, they butt up, um, they butt up to some timber, but I've never really had uh, permission on any spot. That's just big, huge, uh, uh, patches of timber. So I've always hated, uh, I've tried hunting public land and I know a lot of guys try it just for the challenge and, uh, you know, to test themselves. And I, hey, all the power to them because I, I, can't stand hunting public land honestly uh i've tried it and you never know what you're getting into half the time when you go to those places so i appreciate the fact that i have a couple spots that people let me uh hunt on so right and i think um in here in iowa being from iowa i I feel confident in saying this that there's still although i think this is becoming less and less every year um there's a lot of guys in other states that are hunting public land because that's all they have access to while in Iowa we don't have as much public land I don't think as other states however Mm -hmm. there's still landowners out here that are willing to that are willing to let someone like me and you on their property to to hunt some of these deer and we're just we just so happen to be blessed with giant whitetails yeah exactly and a lot of it is just having relationship and connections because if you have connections uh that's that's literally half the battle um it used to be you know i've heard from older guys talking how you could just drive up and knock on somebody's door and ask them if you wanted to hunt they'd say yeah go kill them all you know and and it was hardly any big of a deal but nowadays it's a little bit more difficult but if you have the relationship or the connection through another person that's uh that helps a ton right now i live um, in the southeastern part of the state, you live in the south central part of the state, or that's where you do most of your hunting. Yeah. That you know, we're those are a lot of people. If they could hunt one place, it would be one of those two places, and and that's in uh, across the entire nation. Um, now, in your area, is there a lot of outfitters or large pieces of? ground that are owned by you know maybe an out-of-state hunter or um has it become in your from your point of view harder to get permission um maybe a little bit um in my county specifically uh it's a little bit you're buttoned up to des moines a little bit on the very north part of my county but uh it's it's not it's not too bad when you get farther south of me about an hour or so that's when you get you get into that super prime uh, land where it's just like everybody. When you want to go hunt Iowa, like that's where you think of you want to go hunt, and that's where it, that's where the, most of those outfitters and like all those people are trying to hunt, like the Lakowskis and the Kiskis and the the Drury's. But you know that's like 
that's most of the spots they have land is either right inside Iowa and in, in the southern part or just north of that, like half an hour, 45 minutes. So I'm just north of, of most of that. So Okay. So farming communities and it, it's still, it's still, you know, it's still, you're still able to go knock on some doors and get some, get some permission. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. And especially from being from that area, it's, it's also an advantage. Yeah. It helps a lot. Yeah. Okay. So. And now, I guess, I guess I didn't realize, oh, sorry about that. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I, when I first started hunting and bow hunting up until just really a few years ago, I didn't realize how um, coveted a tag in Iowa really was until I got into watching all the shows and stuff. And, you know, and you, and you hear people trying to draw a tag in Iowa for like two or three years. And some guys don't even get it after that long. So, uh, um, and then I have a couple friends here at college who are from like South Dakota and uh, other and, and from Nebraska and like they've visited me in Iowa before and they're just like, they can't believe like how many deer there are just driving down the road and how many you see like in the evenings come out in the field and stuff. So, right. uh, I've learned to appreciate the fact that there is, that we're, we're lucky to hunt where we do, I guess. That's right. By chance we were born in this state, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, um, uh, now let's get into this year and this buck, um, you mentioned that you had been hunting this particular property where you killed the buck that we're going to be talking about here shortly. You've been hunting it for a couple of years previous, right? How many years have you been hunting that property? Yeah, I've probably been hunting it uh, five or six years. I'm not sure the exact, which one's perfectly exact, but it's five or six years. Okay. So yeah. th- when you first started hunting this property, all right, did you... I mean, did you set up trail cameras? Did you know what kind of quality deer were running around this property? Um, you know, what, and and even go a step further than that, talk a little bit about how maybe you started out when you got this property or got some of these properties, what, what your goal was for a harvest every year to what your goal was this year. Yeah. Well, um, originally my goal was just, something of just quality i guess you could say which was for me at that time i was still a very beginner bow hunter then when i got this land so i only had like one trail camera not much experience you know so i walked in there with my one camera looked at the map and uh would just kind of guess and spitballed where i think the best spots would have been for a stand um they had a pond um so i put a stand near a pond i put a stand uh on the edge of a field kind of at a spot where I think it'd be good where they would uh, come out from bedding into the field in the evening and uh, just kind of went with that. And I believe it was the first year, it was either the first or the second year that I had permission there that I shot my biggest deer up to that point, which was um, a 140 uh, eight pointer, which I was thrilled about. That was, I was, that was on November 6th and uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was, he was great. And, uh, he came in chasing the doe and he stopped and, uh, I got him in that stand that was on the edge of a field. And, uh, so I was super happy about that. But I had seen that first year hunting, I had seen, um, a super wide, just massive 10 pointer that had, uh, brow tines that were super tall, but I, he's just super elusive. I, every time I, I think I saw him two or three times 
and he would never, I couldn't get him to come into calls and he'd, he'd sneak up on me sometimes from a distance. And I quickly learned that calls just threw him off completely. Like if I would try to grunt or snort wheeze at him or anything, it was, he would just look and he would turn the other direction and jog off as quick as he could. He wanted nothing to do with calls and I never could get him to come closer than probably 60 yards or so. And I, he was just super elusive. But, um, so that, that's kind of was the situation going into that place. I didn't, I didn't have anybody really to talk to about the place. Um, <clears throat> I didn't really know anybody that was hunting at that time. I was the only one. So I kind of just went into a cold and guessing and uh, <clears throat> did my best, I guess, as an inexperienced bow hunter at the time. So, uh, But it worked out, and it, I learned a lot through um, just trial and error. So Nice. So over time, you know, from the time that you got this property and you started setting tree stands up to, let's say, like today – did you, did you move your tree stands around a lot to find the best places on these properties? Yeah, I walk, did. Walk um, me through that progression. Yeah. So, um, the stand that I had shot the eight pointer out of was a really good spot. And that was, that was a spot I, I knew was just going to be a, 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 a good spot. So I never moved that stand. I had that there as long as I could have it. Um, and then, so I left that one there and I had a couple other hang on stands that I move and adjusted around the property based on just movements that I saw throughout the year. And then throughout the next year, um, I got a stand below the dam of this pond that was below the dam of this pond was a bunch of bedding and it still is. And that's where a lot of the deer like to bed. Um, so I got a stand on the edge of that where I thought they were coming out of to go to a field and uh, that turned out to be a pretty good spot. And then, really, I've done a lot of just working around this central bedding area right in this property. It's almost right dead center of the property is this bedding area that's probably, I don't know, four acres uh, big or so, something like that. And uh, deer, they just love it. It's all short. There's no trees in there taller than probably 30 feet or so, and everything's shorter and trails and stuff going in through everywhere. So it's a really good spot um, just for bedding. So yeah, I just have to be careful when I'm getting in there, which way the wind is going, because uh, I can always guarantee that there's going to be deer in there. So I had I did adjust stands based on the movement that I saw, um, and sometimes it worked out and sometimes it didn't. I'd move a stand thinking that that's where all the deer were going to be, and then I'd see deer, you know, on the other or you know, running across another part of the property. So, you know, you just adjust as, as best as you think you can um, to get as close as you can. But the uh, unfortunate thing, actually, that just happened this year with this property is the owners, is uh, it's their father that owns the land, and he sold off probably, I would say, the south half of the property to let contractors build houses. And that just happened this year. So starting literally starting right about middle of September, they went in there, started just excavating all the ground and up to this whole season, there has been just insane amount of construction going on on the, on this whole South half of the property where I shot this eight pointer. So I had to pull all my stands from there and, uh, it's kind of been unfortunate, but, uh, um, it's, uh, it, it hasn't worked out too bad. So I, I, I can only hunt on the North half of this property now, which is kind of cut in half. 
uh, my opportunities, but yeah. But it, I mean, this is where you shot your, your buck, right? Yep. I shot yep. him on the North half. Okay. Uh, on the North property, half. So. All right. So with, with them going in and, you know, for, for me this last year, uh, I had loggers come into the property and it just ruined, mm-hmm. it ruined a lot for, for me. Um, the way I hunt, uh, they went in there in October and started logging it, which is not ever a good thing. Um, and it just bumped what I feel is the big mature deer out of that area. Now, yeah. w- when the contractors went in there, first question is, did you have any trail cameras up and running and B what did those trail cameras tell you? Did it change the story once those guys started excavating that ground? Well, um, I did, I did have a couple cameras up for sure. Right. When they came in and started doing all that stuff. Um, I would say that it affected it. Some. there was, I would, I would have thought there would have been more pictures on my cameras when I went back and got them. I left, I left two of those cameras for probably three weeks, three or four weeks and was expecting a lot more pictures than what I got on there. Um, but I, I guess one positive is, it might have pushed all those deer that were on the south side more to the north side of the property where they're not doing construction, which is where I can hunt. So, I don't know, I guess you can look at it two ways. Uh, either it screwed it all up or just pushed them all um, away from that to where I can only hunt now. So, right. I did notice less pictures, and it probably did contribute um, to that all the construction. So Okay. So, you know, as you're checking your trail camera pictures – I, were there target bucks? Was this buck on trail camera when you decided to start hunting that uh, that north piece? Yeah, so I had pictures. I only had two pictures of this deer, um, and they weren't. I had where I had pictures of him were was probably about oh I don't know a good three or four hundred yards away from where I or from where I shot him. But uh, the pictures were the two pictures that I had of him were 30 minutes after, uh, daylight in the evening. Both of them were. So, uh, the one picture here, I pull it up here. It's at 8 PM. Uh, that was September 26th. And then the second picture that I had of him was, uh, in the evening also on like October 5th. And it was like 30 minutes right after, uh, shooting light also. So honestly, like I, I didn't feel too bad about that. Uh, cause I feel like there could be you know, a, a good chance that I could get in that stand right where I had that camera. I had that camera basically sitting on the same tree that my tree stand was in that I was getting pictures of him from. So I was hoping that, you know, on one of those cold fronts or a day, uh, when there was the right wind for the stand that he would come out, you know, 30 minutes sooner than what he was doing in the pictures. But I, that's not actually the stand that I ended up killing him in, which is a, you know, another story, but right. yeah. So what was your, I mean, you, you knew this buck was somewhat on the property. He was make he made in a couple appearances, one during the, the bow season. What was your game plan going and kind of describe your access to what you thought might be some of the, the best stand locations to hunt this deer? Yeah, well, originally I had thought that the stand that I had where this camera was was probably the best spot. I know this property really well, but I just didn't really consider um, killing him where I did end up killing him. My brother and I went in uh, to hunt this stand. It was a two-man stand. He wanted to come along, so 
but we had a wind that we couldn't walk in the typical place, the typical way I'd walk into the stand. So we went around the opposite side of the property. And as we did, uh, we walked through um, this fence that has a big open wide, uh, essentially a gate opening. There's no gate there. It's just a huge opening in this fence and uh, where you can drive, you could drive your truck through and stuff. And there's a tree right, right on the end of the fence. And there was a scrape. Uh, probably five yards from the tree, and I told them as we walked in to go to this other stand. I said that'd be a good spot to get a tree or to get a stand in. I need to get a stand in there soon, um, for, especially for a south wind. Uh, and so that is that tree is where I ended up killing him. Uh, if I if you want to get into the whole story of how it happened, but so I didn't kill him out of that stand. I thought I would have killed him in where I was getting the pictures from, uh, but it worked out on this other spot that I saw that we should put a stand in so so the how many hunts before did you put in on this property before you or did did you have any encounters with this deer before you ended up shooting him no i just had the two pictures and then i hunted the spot i hunted um that stand particular twice in two different evenings and saw very little deer, like a couple does, and that was it. And then I hunted a stand just north of that stand, probably, ooh, I don't know, it's 150 yards north of that stand, just for a different wind and a different uh, location. I hunted that stand uh, for, I hunted that probably, I don't know, three times total. So I, I probably hunted this property a total of five times okay. uh, this season but before I shot him on the 16th. Uh, and, and when I sat in the other stand, I sat there, uh, two different mornings in the, in the other one and saw, um, a couple, a bunch of small bucks. They were all small and then a bunch of does, but so I wasn't seeing anything worth shooting, uh, up to that point. Okay. So no, no encounters. I mean, were, was there any other deer on that property that you were interested in or was it just this buck? There was one other deer that just had a super funky rack that had his brow tine just shot straight up in the air. It was almost taller than all his other tines. And I thought, you know, I'd make the decision if the time came, if I saw him in person, to decide to shoot him. But other than that, not really there. Everything else was either two years or old or younger and, uh, just not really worth shooting. But what I, what I've learned is deer hunting is you never know uh, what can happen and what could come out. So, you know, it's still worth hunting, even if you don't have a ton of pictures of a ton of shooter bucks, you know? So, right, right. So, uh, yeah. So I hadn't the, seen him in person up to this point and I only had the two pictures. Okay. Was there any type of, was there a lot of sign that led you to believe, Hey, there are bucks here and they are, you know, they're, they're making scrapes or, you know, or was it still too early in the season for a lot of that stuff to start popping up? Uh, I, I would say Yes, to both of that probably. There, there. I had one scrape below the stand that I just hung that that I shot him out of that night. Um, but other than that, I had made a couple mock scrapes, and they didn't even. I checked them uh, a few different times, and it didn't look like they were being freshened up by any deer. And uh, so, not really. There wasn't a ton of sign other than I saw a couple bucks uh, sparring around uh, two different times just kind of playing with each other 
And uh, that was about it. There wasn't really, there's obviously, you know, this was October 16th. So it was kind of soon for chasing, kind of soon for a lot of that stuff other than scrapes. So um, not a whole lot of sign other than just the hope that uh, from experience in years past hunting this place, I have seen good shooter deer consistently in during the rut. So that was kind of the only other hope besides knowing that I had a couple pictures of. So Gotcha. All right, now let's talk a little bit about, let's get into the the actual hunt that you ended up harvesting this buck at. Why don't you talk a little bit about what the weather conditions were like, what the wind direction was, and what your game plan for that particular night was? Yeah, well, it was, it was kind of crazy, honestly. Like, it was one of those nights where if there was ever a night you think you would not shoot a deer and not see anything, it was like one of those evenings. It was a week, you know, we could go on Sunday now, and I don't know if you remember at that point, though, but it was like a couple warm days right in a row. Mm-hmm. That Monday was supposed to be like a high of 85, and so that Sunday night was like, I think that high that day was in the upper 70s, and it was pretty warm, and we had a south wind. Um, so that's the only, that's the reason I was considering getting in there and hanging a stand, because I didn't think, I really didn't think, uh, you know, I'd see much, I didn't think much would come out, so it'd be minimal um, kind of pressure on the deer and it's a, it was a, it was the right wind to hang this stand in this spot because I, other than I, I probably only had 40 yards left of the property to hunt on and before the fence of the other guy's property. Um, so I was almost on the very North side of this property for, so for a South wind, it was perfect. Um, so the game plan was just to take a stand in there, hang it in here and just kind of just see if anything happened, see if any deer came out and see where they were coming from and where they were going to. Um, I didn't really have, I didn't have high hopes at all, honestly. So, okay. So, I mean, so you climbed up into your stand, you got a South wind, it's fairly warm out, you know, as the, as the night progressed, did you start seeing any deer movement? Um, any does, any other bucks pop out? Yeah. So, um, I guess just to rewind just a little bit. Uh, so we get, my brother went in there, he helped me hang the stand. We hung it. I only hung it. I could only get it probably 10 feet up in the air in this tree. I couldn't get it any higher because of the branches that were hanging over and stuff like that. So we finally got it up and after like 30 minutes of, of just struggling and stuff. And so we're both sweating. I got short sleeves on. I finally get up in the tree. We had made a bunch of noise. He went and sat in one of my other stands And so I was sitting there thinking, well, I'm not going to see much. We just made a ton of noise. I'm sitting here all hot and sweaty. I tried spraying a bunch of cover scent on me and stuff to help. Um, But with the south wind, uh, I knew that would help some way because I I knew most of those deer were not going to get north of me. So, um, so yeah, I, as I sat there and the night went on, it cooled down a little bit, but just barely, maybe just by five degrees. Um, And there was a deer on the guy's property just to the north of me it was he has a, a big bean field right there that i could uh watch into with my binoculars and stuff and there was one buck that came from west to east probably 70 yards or so away from me and so i called at him a little bit just to see his reaction and stuff just to see what he'd do he was really wide but had super short times probably something excuse me i wouldn't have shot but I just wanted to see, uh, you know, what the, what a buck would do based on what I called at him. So I grunted at him. I grunted at him a few times 
and he looked my way, but uh, he just wasn't really interested at all. And so he kept walking from west to east, and uh, this the stand that I uh, put this tree in, or the tree, sorry, the, yeah, the tree stand I put up, I was sitting on the edge of a, it was basically a big open square, just natural grass kind of CRP type of a field. Um, they hadn't mowed it this year, so it was really high. It was probably, I don't know, waist to chest high in some different places, and it was about 250 yards uh, apart, so all the way at the other end was 250, and it was the same way the other way because it was almost a perfect square just surrounded by um, tree lines, and then that bedding area was to my south. So as the night went on, after I saw that deer, there was probably about... I don't know, 25 or 30 minutes left of light. And I had looked up and seen this deer all the way across the field on the opposite side of me, you know, 250 yards away. And he was just acting super angry. He was, he was, uh, scraping the ground and he's rubbing this tree, like thrashing around this tiny little tree with his head. Uh, he just acted like he was ticked off at something. So I thought, you know, I'll give him, I'll give him a shot too, because he's worth shooting. So, and I, at the time, when he, because he was so far away, I didn't know it was this buck that I had pictures of until he got close. Um, so I got my grunt call, and I, you know, it's early. It's October 16th, something, and this probably isn't going to do a lot, but it's worth trying. So I grunted at him as loud as I could because I, I, I knew he wouldn't hear me very well if I didn't. So I grunted at him super loud, and he stopped and looked up, um, but then just went right back to rubbing this tree, scraping the ground, acting all angry. So I grabbed, I had a little rattle bag in my backpack. So I grabbed that and I hit that together a few times and then I grunted again and that got his attention and he turned his body towards my direction and, and was looking and I would just stop. Every time he'd look up, I would just stop calling and just watch him and just see what he'd do. And, uh, again, he put his head back down and started rubbing on this tree again but I was like, well, I don't know what it's going to take to get this deer over here. So I grunted again as loud as I possibly could. And then I snort wheezed as loud as I could. And then it's going to sound crazy, but then I, and then I bleated with the same call that I have. You can do a grunt and a bleat and snort wheeze with this call. So I did all three of those and that completely got his attention. He turned his body around and started walking my direction. And so I put all my stuff down and grabbed my bow and he's coming across the field slowly. He's just on a walk. He, he didn't come running, but he's just on a steady walk. And because of this tall grass and uh, the tree limb that was kind of right between me and him, uh, once or twice I lost him in the grass, just not knowing where he was. But I knew he was coming, so I was just preparing myself. I probably had two or three minutes before he finally got close enough to me. But he came all the way across the field about 250 yards and – I'm just watching his rack come through the grass, basically his head and his rack is the tall grass. And he's and I'm guessing that he was going to come right down to this opening in this fence, this big opening, because it was just a huge trail and you could tell the deer were using it. So I thought that's where he's going to come. So he finally came, but he broke off at about 25, uh, 25 yards. And I knew he wasn't going to come closer, but he was broadside. So I pulled back and I'm just following him. And then I, I, I uh, made a noise to stop him. And, uh, he stopped and uh, I could feel both my hands shaking. And, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where like through your head, 
you're you're either thinking, okay, if you miss this year, you're just going to hate yourself for the rest of the season. So just chill out and just make the shot. Like I practiced all summer long, almost every single day. So I just kept kept telling myself it was no big deal. You know, I'm like singing a song in my head, just doing anything to get my mind off of the year, basically. <laughs> and uh, so I squeeze off the shot, and it hits him, and it uh, sticks in and breaks off as he goes running. And based on experiences in the past that I've had with arrows sticking in and breaking off as the deer runs, that they weren't. I've ne- I haven't really recovered any deer um, hitting them and the arrow breaking off. So I thought I thought I just blew it. And he U-turns and goes running up the uh, <clears throat> the north side of the field, and I'm watching him. He's just on a dead sprint, and he got about 40 or 50 yards, tripped over himself, and then tripped again and just plowed into the ground. And I honestly was just super surprised that that had happened. But uh, what I'd realized upon uh, coming up to him and finding him was that the arrow stuck in and hit his opposite leg, uh, his opposite leg bone, and then it broke off. So I had about six or seven inches in him. Um, uh, So, I mean, it worked out. I think I just drilled him right in the heart, but he had all internal bleeding. I was... uh, shooting I, tr- I was trying schwacker broadheads this year just for something different i've always i like expandable expandable broadheads and testing out different ones so i tried that one this year and uh, i don't know if you know about those but they open up once they get inside so the hole was not very big and there was zero blood from where i found the arrow to where his body was laying we had zero blood not even a drop we couldn't find any blood at all and uh when i rolled them over there was not even blood sitting under his body. He bleed. He bled a hundred percent inside of his body. So it caught, I mean, it caused for a fast, uh, pretty quick, uh, death and, a and a short, you know, trail, I guess. Luckily I saw where he fell, but, uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy how it all worked out. If most based on everything that people tell you about hunting and about going on cold fronts and having the right wind and, and, uh, not sweating and, the fact that the the south half of this place has got construction and I can hear them beeping in the background and all this stuff. And it was October 16th and most guys probably wouldn't even think about calling out a buck on October 16th. It kind of went against like all of the norms of bow hunting and it, it worked out. So, right. Man, that's awesome. So you got down out of your stand. Is, is this the biggest buck you've ever shot? It, yeah, it is. It is my biggest one to date. I, I think I've shot bigger deer but unfortunately, uh, never recovered them. So this is the biggest deer that I've shot and recovered. So, and okay. I measured him at, uh, 156. So 156. Now describe what the rack looks like to the listeners. And I'll have a picture on the Facebook so, page and on, on, uh, the, the blog, but describe in your words, what the rack looks like. Yes. Yeah, so I guess you could call him a typical, I don't know. He's not really typical. His right G2 is his split. And uh, when he came in, he finally got close enough to that 25 yards, and that's what I saw. That's what stuck out to me. Uh, that gave me the idea that it was the one that I had two pictures of. And then, so he's got one, two, three, four, five on his right side with the split G2, and he's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven on the left side. If you count the, uh, the sticker off his G3, that was it was a little bit longer than an inch, uh, so it was countable. And then he had an extra little time right on the inside of his rack um, that gave him that 7.2, which was probably about six or seven inches long too. So I, I, he, I guess you could say he wanted to be a typical 10, but had 
a couple extra little tines and then uh that splits you too so nice well man i want to say congratulations that's an absolutely gorgeous buck and uh i shouldn't even post i shouldn't even post this uh podcast because <laughs> i don't want people to know i mean the, the cat's already out of the bag but you know we can't be sharing stories like this about io anymore right yeah for real <laughs> but uh people are but, gonna feel bad it, but uh yeah man uh congratulations and uh, i don't want to end this podcast quite yet because you mentioned something yeah about uh about your uh your your broadhead your schwacker broadhead and you, yeah. you're the kind of guy who likes to go out and you know test new things so maybe we'll kind of pivot on to a uh, you know, kind of a gear podcast now, but you, you just told a story about a broadhead that maybe did a, a ton of damage on the inside, but didn't leave a blood trail. Uh, because you watched this deer fall down, that's, that's awesome. Now that you've, you know, now that you've had time to think about it, are you still going to use that broadhead with there being no blood trail? for like next year yeah you know um i think i think i probably will i i'm interested to see what a full pass-through with it will do um i shot a doe with the same broadhead um like the thursday before that and i um unfortunately she ducked my arrow and i spined her and the broadhead went all the way through her spine it didn't stick in it went all the way through and out the other side of her spine so and it didn't break a blade and the, and I didn't break a blade on this buck either. They bent a little bit, but they didn't break. So I, they're super solid broadheads. Um, but I with shooting the two deer. I have not had a chance to see what a complete pass through, uh, wound looks like, especially out on the other side. But I know it's a two inch, it's a two inch cut going out and it's like an inch, inch and a half going in. Um, in the past I've, I've shot rage a lot and I know there's the huge argument, obviously like rage versus everything else, basically, you know, and some, you have guys that are diehard against it and you have guys that are diehard for them. And, uh, I, I've never really had many problems with those broadheads. I shot a ton, I've shot a ton of deer with them and had incredible blood trails. Last year I shot a doe with one of those rages and, uh, it put the biggest hole I've ever seen in a deer before. I could have fit my entire arm and fist and I could have fit two fists inside of this doe's hole that I shot with this raid broadhead. And so I've had good experiences with them, but um, I liked the concept of the Swacker broadheads, how um, they catch what they call their bleeder blades first, and then it opens up once inside. So you're not cutting with blades that have already tried to cut through hide and fat and potentially your rib cage and everything else before it gets inside, it catches those blades and then it opens up once it's inside. So you have completely hundred percent like fresh blades, essentially going through the body and then out the other way. So I like that concept and, uh, I, I practiced with them this summer to see how they flew and they flew pretty much exactly like my field points. Um, so I liked I like that. The only reason I haven't shot many fixed blades, I've shot some Montex and Muzzies and that sort of thing. Um, sometimes they, they just aren't super accurate for me. So that's, I like shooting the 
expandables for the fact that they're accurate and the fact that you can get a big hole, uh, a big hole from them. Plus, we're it's not like we're shooting super tough hide animals. You know, deer are really soft, so you usually don't have to worry about a broadhead like not opening or you know some of those things that you have to worry about with tougher animals. So, I think I will. I'd like I'd like to try it. I still have you know, one or two of those swackers left and I, and I still have a couple of doe tags left too. So I'm really interested to see what a, you know, a full pass through looks like, but I'm still, I'm still pretty confident in them. I, it's funny, you know, I went to an, I, we have an archery shop, um, close to inside Des Moines here. And I was talking to a guy this summer about those broadheads and he goes, yeah, those broadheads are great, except for when you don't have a complete pass through and then you're, and you don't have a blood trail because the whole entry hole is smaller than the exit hole. And then you're getting all your buddies to do a grid shirt because you got no blood trail. And I kind of brushed them off, you know, and <laughs> that's kind of what happened with my deer. But just because you don't have a gaping entry hole doesn't mean that you're not doing a ton of damage. And that deer, you know, is going to fall super quick, in my opinion. So, right now, I'm going to I'm going to ask you some sore, uh, maybe a, a couple sore questions. But yeah. And I'm going to play devil's advocate here a second. Okay, cool. So you you said it's doing a ton of damage on the inside. And you've also mentioned previously, and you might you can say, you know what, up yours, Dan, and hang up on me. <laughs> but uh, but <laughs> isn't the goal of a broadhead to, to, to function in a, a very marginal shot, meaning a poor shot, you want it to be as successful as possible? I just, I just, for me, and, and I'm going to kind of transition over to some of your other misses, uh, or cause you've mentioned you've hit deer in the past and not been able to find them. Hell, I'll just ask the question now, what was it about those previous hits that you, you feel you weren't able to find their deer? Was there lack of blood? Was it the positioning of the, the shot? What was the deal there? Uh, it was where I hit the deer. Uh, okay. you know, every you know, every broadhead out there, essentially, I, they're making broadheads that are just, they're all, they're all great. It's all just preference. And it right. really just comes down to shot placement. If you hit the deer where you're supposed to, every broadhead out there is going to kill a deer. Heck, you could, if you sharpen a rock and figure out how to make it accurate on the end of your arrow, right. you're going to kill a deer if you hit it in the right, you know? So it, those other uh, shots were, bad placements on my part you know buck fever and everything else that gets to you and you make a bad shot a lot of them were either super low and all i hit was fat and uh and that you're not going to find that deer i i tried for hours to try to find that deer and you, and you won't um and a couple of the others were just high up in the shoulder blade just getting like a couple inches of penetration so you're all you're hitting is muscle and bone and that deer is going to be perfectly fine so um, yeah, those other shots were just basically bad shots. Uh, I never have had a bad, I'm, I don't think I've ever really had a bad broadhead experienced and I've used sticks blades and expandables, you know, right. uh, you know, there's plenty of guys out there that have, that have had bad experiences. Um, I just haven't personally. Okay. So on, on this buck, right. Um, you were able to watch him fall from the stand. Now let's say, yeah let's say the the shot was maybe six inches back right because you did you hit lung and you you hit heart yeah right? i hit heart and lung and I, if you hit heart then you're hitting lung because you know the lung right. surrounds the heart so right. yeah 
okay, so let's say on that particular shot, and this is just all hypothetical at this point, yeah. you you hit a little bit further back and still not a pass through. Maybe you got some liver, uh, maybe some guts, some diaphragm. You know, that buck is dead. He's going to die, but he's able to stay on his feet a little bit longer uh, and, and mm-hmm. maybe make it to some thick, nasty stuff. Doesn't at that point – and I'm just trying to have a conversation here. I'm not trying to uh, shit talk your broadhead selection, but for me, I am under the, I want to have the most blood possible for, uh, for, uh, a a blood trail. You know, I want to have something to follow to get to this deer. If, if it's not making it to that next, you know, if it's, if it's making it to that really tall CRP or if it's finding a place to nuzzle into in some crevice and some ravine somewhere, some thicket, and I walk right by it, man, I, I just, don't, I don't know. I guess, you know, like I said, my opinion, your opinion and all this stuff, but I just feel that that would be something for me. I don't know. I don't know if I would, would be able to shoot uh, that, a broadhead like that again, whether it's a schwack yeah. or it's a, a, a similar design. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I guess what it, you know, what it comes down to, I guess, is what you value most. If you value penetration and getting the arrow to pass through as many times as you possibly can, even if you do hit bone, you know, you're going to go with the smaller diameter broadhead. You're probably going to choose a, choose right. a fix. If you're a guy that wants a huge blood trail, you know, like you do, you're going to choose that bigger diameter broadhead that's expandable, that just is known for cutting a deer wide open. You know, and it, it depends on your situation, I guess, um, and what kind of shots you're willing to take with your broadhead. So, um, but like with that scenario, like you're saying, um, yeah, you do, I, I would say you do want that, um, good entry wound and you do want that good exit wound. Um, so I guess, I guess the only saving grace for me is that I just wanted to test the broadhead and see how it, right. you know, see how it do. And I've heard good things about them, and I guess they're not. I've heard that they're tough and they fly straight and they don't deflect um, like a lot of arrows do. If you if you have a sharp quartering shot or whatever, so it was it was a lot of it's just been kind of experience experimental for right. me to see what right. you know see what it would do. Um, but if I were to like go back on broadhead again, you know, I, like I said, I've had a lot of good experiences with the rage and. I think they're great. So that that's always a broadhead I would always fall back on. But um, and the other thing is too with those the two little blades that catch when you first hit the deer that first make the hole. It, it's about an inch and a half cut, and most of your fixed blade broadheads are an inch and a half, and some are smaller, some are an inch and a fourth or just yep. an inch. So your entry wound is going to be the same size as the vast majority of your fixed blade broadheads. So if you're blade guy um you can't really go too wrong there i guess because you're going to get that fixed blade entry and you're going to get a wider exit if it does pass through but if you're an expandable guy most of your expandables are going to have that bigger entry so uh, you 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 kind of you have to you have to sacrifice something when you pick a broadhead it's usually either sacrificing the exit and entry wound or you're sacrificing some sort of penetration or something, you know, it's hard to find an arrow or, or a broadhead that has everything perfectly in its favor, you know, so. Right. No, man, I get it. It's one of those things, too, yeah. where if, you know, we could sit here and talk about 
making the absolutely perfect shot. You know, if I knew I was going to heart shot a deer every time I, you know, shot a deer, hell I'd use a, and get a pass through. I'd just use a field point because they're going to die. Exactly. They're going to die the same way. Right. But, but as we know, uh, shots are not always heart shots or even lung or liver shots. So, yeah. uh, and, and there are times when equipment fails. So there's that. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Exactly. So let's see here. We got about, uh, um, do you shotgun hunt? I do. Um, I've done late muzzleloader one year, uh, but it, it usually, it usually just depends on the weather. If the weather's nice and cold and, and there's snow on the ground for shotgun season, I'll typically do that. But if there isn't, then I, uh, you know, I'll wait till the late muzzleloader season and see if the weather's better and do that. So, right. Right. I've always been interested in, uh, maybe picking up a muzzleloader at, at some point, um, in yeah. my, in my hunting career and maybe doing that Iowa early season or, or that late season as well, you know, trying to find a food source. Uh, have you had any luck with a muzzleloader in the past? Well, I only did it that one year. Um, so I haven't had a ton of experience with them, but my uncle does it every single year. My grandpa did it a ton and you know, they like it for the fact that you can reach out there a lot farther and you kind of settle the score a little bit from both season because <laughs> half of those deer that you can't shoot in both season you can when muzzleloader comes so that's that's i know that's why a lot of guys like it um so i haven't had a ton of experience with with uh muzzleloader too lot um but it i I liked it the the time that i did go uh the only thing which everybody knows the only downside is you pretty much got one shot so you got to make it count kind of like bow hunting but with shotgun if you if you have a you know like a rifle barrel or you can sight your gun out to 70 or 80 even 100 yards sometimes uh you you can have a couple more shots you know nice so i've always i've i've never done it yet i'm pretty sure i'll bite the bullet and uh and pick one up in the next you know when i maybe in four years when i turn 40 but uh, yeah but uh we'll see we'll see what happens hey man again thanks for that little extra discussion thanks for uh, coming on the show i really appreciate your time um, are now you're a college student, right? I am. Yep. Okay. Keep, and I feel I should say this because I'm older and more mature now. Uh, keep your nose in the books and, uh, make good decisions. Does that sound too yep. much like it? Does that sound too much like a dad? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> a huge shout out to Adam. Uh, Thanks for coming on the show, taking time out of your day to record the podcast. Again, congratulations on the uh, stud of a buck you shot earlier this year. Also, again, and I'll say this for every podcast that I record, thank you very much to all the listeners for taking time out of your day to listen to an idiot like me talk. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for downloading. Thank you very much for listening and follow along. If you guys want to follow me through my rut vacation, like I said, I'm going to be hunting and hunting hard and uh, I'm not going to be putting out as many podcasts for the next couple weeks. Go to 
Facebook and you can follow my quote unquote rutcation adventures on uh, Facebook. You can follow them on Twitter and you can follow them on Instagram. I'll be posting pictures and updates uh, throughout the rut. And, uh, you know, guys, send me messages. Let me know if you're successful, you know, and if you if you tag one or if uh, you have a pretty cool hunt and uh, want to share your story on one of the Hunter Profile podcasts, let's uh, get something scheduled for December and uh, and uh, thereafter. So um, good luck to everybody. I said it before, but honestly, I hope each and every one of you connect on a deer that you're chasing this year, whether it's uh, antlers or to uh, fill the freezer. I'm, uh, I'm pulling for all of you. Hey, and I say this again, because it's very important, uh, wear your safety harness and I'm going to say it one more time at the end of this, but wear your safety harness, huge shout out to, uh, the sponsors of this podcast, you know, because, uh, it takes money to run these things and these guys help pay the bills. I really appreciate that. Uh, thanks to deer lab. And if you guys want to save, uh, $20 off of an Exodus trail camera, when you go to exodusoutdoorgear.com and, uh, at checkout, enter the code nine fingers and you will be able to save $20 on your purchase. Ah, it's time to go because I'm going to get some sleep and tomorrow I'm hunting. Well, it's going to, it's today. Technically I'm going to be hunting hard. And I'm going to be hunting hard until I connect or my time runs out. And uh, bada bing, bada boom. When you're hunting hard and you start to get tired because after a lot of hunting, you're grinding pretty hard and you want to take a shortcut and you forget your harness at your truck. And uh, you have to make that decision to go back and get it or go into the tree. Just remember that if you decide to leave that harness in your truck, there is an option, there's a possibility that you may fall out of your tree stand because you did not have that safety harness on and you'll break your legs or your back or worse yet and you will never be able to hunt again. So think about that. Wear your damn safety harness and good luck.